Welcome to the Mycelium Network Podcast, a podcast for early stage web developers and the mentors, teachers, and communities that help them along the way. Hey, Molly and Grecia, and welcome to the Mycelium Network Podcast. Thanks so much for having us. Uh, really appreciate being here. Hi, very happy to be here too. So, um, You'll introduce yourselves and and you'll reveal from where you are. So I'm not going to spoil the surprise. <laughs> so if you, I don't know, wants to go first, let me pick somebody. Grecia, if you want to go first, uh, please tell us more about yourself, your background, how you came to do what you do, and then what gets you up in the morning? Okay, perfect. So um, I am Grecia Castaldi. I am director of community at Women Who Code. I am from Mexico and a little bit of my background. I am a systems engineer. I have a double degree, one in Universidad de Monterrey, that's Monterrey University in Mexico, and one in Nagaoka University of Technology, that's in Japan. Um, I did a little bit of everything after graduating. I started as a software engineer, um, a developer, programming, coding, all of that. Then I worked for a while in user experience, and that's a field in technology that I, that I really love. Um, then I did a bit of project management as well. And after that, I joined Women Who Go to, to work as a full-time member. I was a volunteer from a long time ago um, at my local community in Monterrey, Mexico. And it became my passion. I, I really like Women Who Code. I really like the mission. Um, and when I applied, when, when I learned about this full-time position, I didn't think about it. I just applied because I really liked it. So I joined um, the team full-time in 2021. Uh, it's going to be two years very soon. And then you said what um, gets me up in the morning. I have to say it's coffee. I love coffee. so <laughs> Yes, I, I like to prepare my own coffee. So, you know, I'm learning new techniques and new ways of preparing it. I'm not an expert, but I love it. And it's kind of like a hobby that I am getting. I totally get that. I get that. And you're not the first guest to have said that. There was another question I had that I forgot to mention. Um, if you want to share something you love about the place you live. Okay, so I live in Mexico, in Monterey, Mexico. Um, it's not a very touristic place, but we have many mountains. So wherever you look, you will see mountains. And of course, the food is very good. Mexican food everywhere. So you can get very good tacos and, um, you know, tamales and all of those uh, really good Mexican dishes. So I have to say that, yeah. That's a good reason. That's lovely stuff. Uh, Molly, how about you? My name is Molly Devine. I'm the Individual Giving Manager with Women Who Code. I've been with Women Who Code for about a year now, and it's been really exciting. And I always talk about you know, what kind of got me into, I think, the nonprofit world and, and kind of that, that environment. Because I'm like Gracia, I don't have any technical background particularly. But what I will say is, you know, I love supporting uh, the mission of Women Who Code and, and supporting our ability to you know, empower diverse women um, to excel in tech careers because I know it's an area that's really needed. And, you know, when I was in undergrad, I got my degree in communication and design. And I took my first job out of college. I went to, to Loris College and my first job was working for Loris College in the marketing department and I didn't expect it, but I was working as a graphic designer. And as much as I loved, you know, doing that creative aspect and I still do a lot of creative projects on my own and freelance work, um, it was hard to be at a computer all day for me. I wanted to be working with people. I wanted to be 
making a difference. And so I went back, I got my master's in public administration. Uh, I did that because I knew I wanted to get into the nonprofit field, into kind of serving my community, uh, because I had loved doing some of the nonprofit projects uh, and service work that I'd done in undergrad. And so my first job out of school was working for the Leukemia Lymphoma Society. Uh, and that was a great time. I spent four years really helping uh, bring in money uh, to fund cancer research. And then um, in 2022, I moved over to Women Who Code um, to get started there. On the getting me up in the morning, I feel like similar almost to Gracie, only I don't like coffee. So it's not coffee, but it is my dogs that get me up in the morning, probably. They, they have a schedule now, so whenever I'm uh, home... Um, and we're not out of town, so we're getting back into a schedule now because I was just out of town for a brief amount of time. Um, they know that morning time, they're getting a walk from me. So they definitely, if it starts to get to like 8 or 9 o'clock and I haven't gotten them up for a walk yet, they start getting a little antsy. You know, it's walk time. Uh, I'm currently located in Key West, Florida. It's not where I'm originally from. I'm, I'm a Midwest gal, so it's a little different being um, on an island in the ocean at the, the southernmost point of Florida, really of the United States, um, continental U.S., so pretty wild in, in that regard, um, but I think one of the things I love here um, is this, the winter time, I think specifically the winter, I'm going to use that term lightly, is like spring, essentially, so spring has always been my favorite season as a, as a Midwesterner, I love spring, I love the flowers blooming, and like the fresh air, you know, it's like you're just getting out of winter, so it's perfect to, to you know, you would pull off your coat and your sweater, and it's like 50 degrees, but you have a t-shirt. Well, I feel like winter in QS, it goes from about November until February, give or take, um, March a little bit, but it's got that spring weather. you got a lot of 70-degree days, very breezy, very nice, like very temperate, not a lot of humidity. Um, the mosquitoes seem to take a little bit of a respite, so you're not, like, itching all the time. And unfortunately, I know it's uh, it's ended because my ankles are all bit up all over again. Oh, goodness. Yeah, mosquitoes. Don't know what to do with those for them. Some people want to get rid of them, but then you have to be careful because the ecosystem and nature is... You have to be careful. Let's just leave it at that. Um that's lovely. Thank you. Um, such diverse backgrounds and such different roads and routes you took to get where you are today. It's really, really interesting. Um, as you both mentioned, you um, are at Women Who Code. For those who have not heard about Women Who Code or only know it by name, um, please tell us more about the project, its mission, and the goals that you have. Absolutely. Um, women Who Code uh, was founded about 10 years ago. It was a small community of women in San Francisco, and you know they were really working to support one another, to, to build community with each other, to share insights with each other. And you know, early on, they realized that this was a really powerful tool, a really powerful community that they were building, and they looked to um, create a 501c3. So in November of 2013, they were officially um, designated as a 501c3 nonprofit organization. And really the mission work began from there with, with building that community, growing that community. And so, you know, what started as this, this small unit of, you know, technologists in San Fran became, you know, 343,000 members 10 years later, uh, encompassing members from all over the globe. Uh, we have representation in 147 different countries. And the mission set is, you know, we're here to empower diverse women to excel in tech careers. Um, with the vision of a tech industry where diverse uh, 
women and historically excluded people thrive at every level. And so the mission kind of focuses predominantly around that, that set, you know, um, focusing towards predominantly adult professionals who are finding tech careers for the first time, coming back into tech after an absence from the workforce, um, career transitioners who may have started in a different field and now want to transition their career into tech. And of course, those of uh, uh, members of the community that are already in tech but are looking to elevate to the next level. And I think that's a really unique piece because um, despite loving their tech careers, about 50% of women look to leave uh, their tech job at about the 10-year mark. And they do this because they don't see opportunity for growth. They don't know what the next step is in their career journey. Um, but if we can retain those women, uh, her lifetime earnings increased by $1.7 million. And so uh, we try to counterbalance those leading by providing community, uh, networking, mentorship, leadership training, uh, technical skills, scholarships, career navigation, um, just to name a few. And we even have a designated job board where uh, engineers can go in and look for new opportunities. And I think what I always like hearing about the job board is it's um, it made for engineers uh, by engineers. So it's tailored specifically to engineers and what they might be looking for when they're looking for a job opportunity. And so uh, all these elements basically uh, are, are there to, to really support you know, women in the tech field because we know that um, women in tech only account for about 25% of the tech workforce. And so there's a lot of room for growth and growing that equality and growing that base um, to really have a, a more um, diversified workforce. In the tech field. Great. Um, Gracia, anything you want to add to that? I think Molly covered everything. Um, we will speak more about our communities and what specific uh, programs and activities we are doing. Uh, mm -hmm. Yes, thank you, Molly. Great. Um, so, yeah, when the pandemic came, uh, a lot of things changed for a lot of people. Um, and you all uh, do a lot of events. It's, it's a big part of uh, the Women in Code. Uh, the work you do. Um, and so, as with many other people, um, a lot of things moved online. And you all embraced this and have put in, been putting in a lot of effort with your YouTube channel. So, for people who don't know about the YouTube channel, uh, what can they expect to find on, on this channel? Yes, so um, I need to say first, we have more than 70 local networks and we have six technical tracks. So all of our communities are organizing events every day. So we can find an average of five events per day. Uh, so, so you can imagine what you can find there. All of those events, uh, most of them are virtual. Since the pandemic, we moved to virtual only. Right now, we are doing uh, you know, some events um, in person in the local communities, but most of them are still virtual. And you can find them all or almost all in our YouTube channel. So if you miss our events or our conferences or summits, you can go to our YouTube channel and find them there and you will have um, almost the same experience. Of course, it's not the same because it's better if you are live interacting with one another, asking questions. But if you watch on YouTube, you can then join our Slack communities or, you know, other events, meet and greets and um, interactive events we have and ask questions there. So you can uh, always watch an old video from two months ago, learn about an, a new technology, then join our Slack community and ask questions there. And there, there will always be people uh, willing to help you and to uh, mentor you as well. That's great. That's great. Anything, Molly, to add to that? Uh, 
I think the only thing I would add is that, you know, we talked about the pandemic and um, one of the things that I think really helped women who could grow um, in some ways was that pandemic, that ability to have to go online uh, because it really allowed us to um, open up our, our resources even more to a global audience uh, because now we weren't necessarily time-bound like Gracie had talked about. Uh, we had that YouTube channel uh, where we were uploading all the content so people could watch it at a time that was convenient for them. So if you were in Australia or if you were in um, the, the UK or you were in um, uh, Tokyo, you know, anyone could kind of tune into those, those opportunities. But also because everything went completely virtual, um, all of our live trainings as well, it really opened up people again to be able to access those trainings in a, in a live capacity, um, even if they weren't, let's say, in, um, you know, uh, 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 London or, or wherever the, the location may have been. I think one of the cool things I did um, early on when I started, like I said, I started about a year ago, um, was I tried to tune into a couple of our different networks in different places. And I was really inspired um, to see that our, our Kiev network, um, despite what was going on in the Ukraine, um, was still actually hosting events on a regular basis. And I forget exactly what I tuned into, but I know it was like something in regards to navigating uh, stress uh, or, or navigating um, work in a stressful environment, um, something with like self-care, taking care of yourself. Um, and it was, it was probably a couple months after... Um, the war in Ukraine kicked off and I tuned in just to see how they were doing. You know, I don't, I don't speak um, Ukrainian. And um, so I didn't know what was going on necessarily or what they were talking about, but it was nice just to be a part of the community and see them thriving and supporting each other in that environment. Yeah, for sure. <clears throat> I think it's so, so critical um, having those community connections during um, any time, but especially during like these, these troubled times. I spoke to Yuri Lazaruk um, last year at some point, um, who, who is also Ukrainian, um, and it was pretty inspiring. I say it was very inspiring to speak to him, and just even with everything going on, like he just kept doing these things. Like for example, he hosts this uh, community podcast, and every week he just kept putting it out, and I was like. It's amazing that you're still doing all of this in while dealing with everything going around you. And for him, it was interesting. It was, it was kind of like an anchor, this thing once a week where he got to speak to somebody else and kind of just forget about what's going on around him and just talk about community stuff, which is what he loves. Um, so, yeah, I, I can definitely see how that, that was like a huge thing. So I'm glad that exists. Um, so... I had a look at the, um, all the networks, like you said, there is a lot. Um, but I, I, I realized that there isn't one in South Africa, interestingly. Um, but when I was looking, doing a search, just to see if maybe I somehow missed it on the site, I found another um, foundation called She Codes, um, which is in South Africa. So I have two questions. The first one is, is there any like global collaboration between different projects and foundations that kind of have the same mission because I think there's very close alignment between she codes and women who code and then if there are people interested in starting a a chapter um, in their country let's say South Africa for example how would they go about that yes so first of all um, yes we can collaborate with other projects and foundations we have done so especially if we have similar missions and um, 
the most important if their programs are free to our members. We can help them promote them. We sometimes invite them to speak at our events or to promote them on our communities on Slack and so on. So that's something we can do. And then for, um, you mentioned having a chapter in South Africa. We don't have one. We have two in Africa. One is um, Lagos, Nigeria, and we have one in Accra, Ghana. Uh, so that's, I think those are the uh, nearest ones. And then uh, speaking more about the pandemic, two things happened. So the good thing was now everyone can join any event, any network. Uh, as Molly mentioned, we have members in 147 countries. So I, I checked our list of 147 countries and we have South Africa. So we have members from there joining other events. So really, if the time zone is convenient for you, you can join any event. We have some uh, global conferences as well. Welcome to any members around the world. And then um, something bad that happened during the pandemic. I mean, that was a good thing. The bad thing was that uh, some volunteers needed more support. During the pandemic, uh, it was difficult for them to keep going with so many events at the same time. So we had to help them. Some uh, of our communities went inactive because it, they didn't have volunteers anymore. Of course, they had a lot of things going on, so they needed time. And that's understandable. Um, but when that happened, uh, it was very difficult to open new networks. So we haven't been able to open new networks recently. Now that we are starting to do in-person events again, I hope very soon we will be able to open new networks. And we have a list of networks that we want to open where we already have some volunteers, partners, or just interested people. We have uh, Madrid in Spain, and we have um, El Salvador as well. And then we have in Mexico, we have two, Guadalajara and Tijuana. We already have volunteers that are just waiting for us to approve them to open a new network, and they are ready. So if anyone is interested in South Africa or anywhere else, uh, they can send us an email or just contact us. Let us know that they are interested, that they have, you know, the support we need, the volunteers. They need to open a new network there. And we will, when we resume this, um, you know, opening new networks, we will be in charge of them. Um, Molly, anything from your, your side? I think Gracia did a, did a great job covering that area. Awesome. Um, you also mentioned tech communities. How is this similar and or different to the chapters? Yes, so we have technical track communities and they are virtual only because we have members from all over the world. So we have six, we have blockchain, cloud, data science, front end, mobile, and Python. So if you are an expert in any of these areas, you can join. They are mainly based in our um, Slack community. So everything is going on on Slack. And then um, we also do our leaders and volunteers do events around those topics. Um, and they are virtual because anyone can join. You don't have to be in Monterey, Mexico, or you know New York City or anywhere. You, you can be anywhere to join these communities um, and because they are more uh, focused to that specific technology. Okay, that's awesome. And and is the the six that you currently have are there plans to expand on that or, and is that kind of does that kind of happen organically? Like there's maybe a new technology and a lot of people are interested in. And let's let's say for example Rust. Um, say for example, there's a bunch of people in the community that's like we're trying out Rust and we do they 
how do they do that? Do they talk to you about this? Does it organically start to form on Slack or how does that work? Yeah, so we started with this six and we have continued with this six um, until now. When we have a new technology, we try to integrate it into one of the ones we already have. And if we see it's a very popular topic, we can think of opening a new track. We are actually on plans of doing, you know, some, um, not only opening new tracks, but also transforming the ones we have so we can uh, cover more technologies, you know, similar technologies around those that we already have. Yes, that, that's something we, we plan to do in the future. Yeah, makes sense. I mean, I'm not saying that there should be a track for every technology. There's way too many. And um, I've, I've found that if there's too much, then you get that, what do they call it, choice paralysis, where you're like, I don't know what to do. So yes. you just like, don't do anything. So I think keeping it, keeping a, a, a lid on it a little bit is probably a good idea. Um, so I've been looking all on the website and I've found, I found so many cool things that you all are doing. Um, one of the ones I want to talk about is the Applaud Her initiative. So one of the reasons the Mycelium Network and this podcast exist is to talk to folks like you, but also give, uh, let's call it junior web developers, the opportunity to speak on a podcast, you know, to make their voice heard, to, to tell their story, what's their dreams, hopes, fears, all these kinds of things. Um, but also to celebrate the things that they're proud of. You know, if they have a project they've done that they love to talk about, then this is their opportunity to do that. And in the um, in the Discord server where we have the community, there's a channel specifically where you can show and tell. Like if you've made something that you want people to know about, you can share it in there. Um, so the Applaud Her initiative is similar in nature, um, but I'd love for you to talk a little bit more about that and maybe share some inspiring stories that's happened through that initiative. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad, honestly, that you asked about Applaud Her because I feel like it's a really exciting time at Women Who Code in regards to this. Um, you may have seen this in some of the things that you were looking up, but uh, Women Who Code just launched the Applaud Her Awards, uh, 100 Technologists to Watch. Um, and that was an exciting time because, you know, Applaud Hers are always out there. We're always encouraging people to, you know, submit Applaud Hers, which are really kind of exactly what you talked about, opportunities for, you know, me to shout out or, or you to shout out someone that you've seen um, that's really excelling in their field. And so, you know, I could be like, man, I just saw Gracie, I just give a dynamic podcast. Um, and it was so fantastic. And I just want to applaud her for her, her, um, her speaking abilities and her ability to convey, you know, really great aspects of the Women Who Code mission. And that would be like an opportunity that I could post right on the Applaud Her site. So it's really just an area to highlight the achievements of diverse technologists, celebrating them and elevating them to normalize the celebration of uh, women succeeding in the tech industry. But the Applaud Her Awards were another step further. It's something um, that has apparently, and I didn't know this until yesterday, been a Women Who Code goal for several years to launch this um, award ceremony. And so it was a great community effort. Everyone in the organization got together, was promoting it, was asking for nominations, was submitting friends and family and loved ones for this Applaud Her Awards. And it really focused on the opportunity to, to celebrate, you know, outstanding stars, people to watch, right, in the tech field. And I say it's exciting because that, that nomination process, unfortunately, for this year has closed. It closed earlier in it in the month of March. Um, and we just started uh, announcing those winners of the 100 Technologists to Watch. And so it's been 
super exciting to see those people being being celebrated and excited and, and sharing their successes um, throughout you know the social media sphere. And you know our our colleague Gabriella Hall, she actually wrote a blog um, about the applaud her awards and kind of announcing it. And I you know love to read just a, a quick quote from from what she said because I think it really highlights um, an area of, of what what the applaud her awards really meant to people. So the common expression, if you see it, you can be it, really holds weight when it comes to the representation of women in the tech industry. The gender gap in tech is a well-documented issue with women underrepresented in many technical uh, tech-related professions. By honoring 100 diverse individuals in tech, we can help to address this gap and provide more opportunities for women and people from marginalized communities to succeed in this field. And shining a light on the leaders who demonstrate through their work and advocacy a real commitment to making their fields far more accessible to people of all backgrounds, this celebration will continue to inspire and motivate all of us to fight for structural change and equitable conditions in our work. And I thought when I saw that, when I was reading her, her blog, I was like, this is, is a perfect representation of, of our Applaud Her and our Applaud Her Awards um, and, a, and a great way to even explain to you, you know, what that means, I think, to people who are being nominated, who are being recognized, both um, on a daily basis that are submitting uh, applause for their, their friends and their community, um, but also for those that were lucky to be a part of um, as a nominee and also as a winner, um, the Applaud Her Awards. And I'm excited to see that initiative continue to grow in the years to come. Yeah, it's beautiful. Love that. Anything you want to add to that, Chrissia? I just wanted to mention, I think Applaud Her has been a part of our culture since a long time ago. When I was a volunteer here in Monterey, we always tried to do this Applaud Her activity at the end of each in-person event. Because I think it's uh, like women don't like to share their own successes sometimes. So it's part of what we are trying to do, encourage them to share about their successes, the successes of their friends. So we always try to do like a have a... Uh, you know, like a physical board where people could put sticky notes with their recent achievements. And it's like, you don't have to put your name if you don't want to. You can write something about your friend. If she's very shy for, you know, about sharing about this, uh, you can write it for your friend and put it there. And at the end, we we will read them. And, you know, it, it was very nice. It was a very um, empowering experience for everyone. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, I love, I love that. I think that's that's wonderful. I'm, I'm happy that you're doing that. Um, and it's, on, a, on a similar vein, I, I looked at the newsletter that you all have, and I, I stumbled upon a specific edition of the newsletter that talks about advocating for yourself. Um, and it kind of, well, it resonated with me from a couple of different perspectives. For one thing, I have two daughters um, and a son, uh, and. My one daughter is really good at advocating for herself. My other daughter is a little bit more, she has trouble with that. And I have to continuously encourage and, and kind of push her outside of her comfort zone a little bit. Um, but then also, I had a conversation with Brie Lever um, one or two episodes ago, uh, back. And at the end, I asked her, what is the best advice you've received so far in your life? And... Um, she lives on the island of Hawaii, and she has a friend there that's kind of like a spiritual guide on the island. And she gave her advice, and what she told her is she said, Brie, you need to say what you want first. And like when she said that to her, 
Her first reaction was, no, I don't think I can do that. How am I going to be perceived if, if I'm the one who always speaks first, if I'm the one who says what, what is it that I want? And I think there's a lot of like historical stuff connected to this, cultural things, social norms that unfortunately is still with us. Um, but I think it's, I think, not I think, I know it's one of the things that, that you're addressing just by the fact that this, you know, this newsletter is out there. So what advice do you have for people struggling to advocate for themselves? And how can we support each other better in that? This is a hard one for me because I am from Latin America and I, I think we need to be more open about that. We are still working on that, but I, I've been learning so much by being part of this women who go different you know, communities um, and learning from different uh, members from around the world. So I think uh, one thing that helped me was being part of this community helped me because then you can find a mentor and then you can have this safe space to talk about these things and, you know, kind of practice with this uh, small group in this community. Uh, when we were having in-person events, sometimes we will just go to a cafe and talk about, you know, um, what are your issues right now? Do you need help in anything? Do you need a mentor? So we were always talking about, um, hey, can you give me advice on how can I speak to my boss about this and this? So we will give advice on um, communication skills, uh, how to have self-confidence, um, you know, how to set your goals as well. I think that's important. Uh, so we didn't do only, we don't only do tech talks and tech events. We also do uh, career navigation. Career navigation is a big part of our community. So we try to do career advice. We invite, uh, you know, very experienced women, women in technology to share about their experiences. And they can share about um, how we can set our goals better, communicate better, have this confidence we need to advocate for ourselves. Yeah, that's great. Molly, anything from you? Yeah, I think, I think Grace, Grace, yeah, honestly, it's on the head, nail on the head, because, you know, it, it is, I think, a challenge a lot to, to advocate for, for ourselves. And um, I kind of put it into a, a dual situation. It's a little bit of a, you don't know what you don't know. Right. So sometimes you're you're not advocating for yourself because you don't know any better. And then sometimes it's a fear based. Right. I don't want to say this because I don't want to come off as uneducated or I'm not sure what the outcome will be. And I know when when I had my first job offer. Right. Um, I didn't I didn't negotiate. Um, I didn't put in a negotiation. And um, I, I didn't for a couple of reasons. One, one, I was just excited. I was a college student. I was fresh out of college. and I was just excited to have a job. Right. So many of my friends had. Um, had been applying for six months, you know, and I got one a couple months after graduation. Um, and so I was just excited to have it. So I was, thank you. I'll take whatever, you know, so you're just, you're just taking something because you're just grateful. But there's also that idea of like, gosh, I don't want to upset them. What if I say something and they pull the job offer, right? And so you just, you just instinctively, you put that fear base in. Well, I, I can't ask. I don't, I don't want to upset them. I don't want to lose the job. I don't want to lose the potential. But the truth is, you know, if they're going to pull the job offer because you're advocating for yourself for, for a higher wage or for a wage that you deserve, maybe that job's not for you. <laughs> you know, it's easy to say when, when now you're in an established career, you know, 10 years later, but, but in, in some ways that's, that's true. You know, you, you need to show that you have inherent value and, and dignity and respect and they should 
respect that. And so um, I think that it's like I said, it's that dual, that dual purpose. And, you know, one of the things that I saw on LinkedIn, which I thought was such a piece, honestly, was a, a quote that said, um, you need to build your personal board of directors. And so, you know, all these organizations and all these companies and all these businesses, they have boards of directors, but really like you need to build your your personal board of directors that when you do have these situations, when you get a job offer, when you're when you're looking into something new, when you're scared, when you're unsure, you have this community of support, your personal community of support that you can go to and get their advice and seek, you know, their guidance um, and, and that, that oversight, right? That that help, that assist. And you know, I think one of the, the great things, and it goes back to the negotiation pieces, I don't think I even learned really a good tool for negotiation until last year. And this really sticks out for me because I'm still like so jazzed on it. But we actually had a speaker at Connect Recharge, which is our, our global um, Connect conference that happens every year. Um, and it, the speaker's name was, was Kelly May. And actually, I think Gracia was her moderator for that talk. Um, but she, her, her talk was called Taking the Stress Out of Negotiation. And I think every person at the conference that tuned in for that was just like, you know, mouth open, like shocked face, like, I want to go out and get a new job today just so I can practice my negotiation skills because it was eye opening and it was, it was so wonderful. And, you know, in that regard of like, you don't know what you don't know. And, and maybe you're not always advocating for yourself, or maybe you're afraid to do this. I shared that with countless people, it, you know, obviously connect is a, is a tech first conference, you know, it is based towards um, technologists, but there's so much good content in there that is applies, even if it's based towards tech, applies so much to any career field. And I went out and I shared that with with several friends, several family members and told them, please share this because more people need to know this. And so I think there's there's kind of a, a dual way that we can kind of support people. And that's one, anytime you find something, share generously. Share generously with your friends, with your family, with your loved ones to really show them, you know, what's out there and give them the tools to succeed. And I think my other piece would be, you know, if someone is asking you for feedback, try and say yes. I, I, I think that sometimes, again, we're afraid of feedback or we're afraid to share feedback. Um, but if someone's asking for it, um, try to say yes and support them. You know, I once applied for a job and I didn't get it. Um, and I replied back, you know, thanking the hiring manager and I'm grateful for the time that she took. And I just said, you know, if, if you have any advice on something that I could do to improve um, or tools and resources that you've used to grow and develop in this field, I'd, I'd really love your support if you could if you could share that with me. And I was grateful because she agreed and, and we were able to meet and talk through that so that the next time I was available or that position became available, I was ready, right? I was ready to move forward because I'd done the work because someone had been there to guide me. Yeah, I agree 100%. I, I wish more um, hiring managers and people would do that because I've it's I've heard it differently more than twice, at least, in the in the podcast that I've done so far, where people were like, because I asked them about the interview process, and they were like, one of the worst things is if people ghost you. And that's what the one um, Isabel Kalabek, that's what she said, um, where at some point they just stop responding. And you're like, well, okay, cool. So I clearly didn't get the job, but why didn't I get the job? And it, it helps so much because maybe it was something – exactly that you didn't know you didn't know and if people would be a little bit more open about that i think it would go a long way um 
to get people to feel less anxious and less stressed about the whole interview process. So, talking about interview process, you have a job board, um, and you've you've hinted at that uh, before. It's really great, and like you said, it's it's for engineers by engineers. Um, what is the role of women who code? with regards to the job board, but then also support services maybe around that for people who are like trying to get their first job or, you know, have, have been doing something else, not tech, and now they want to get into tech. Yes. So uh, we have some amazing partners and they share their jobs with us. So what we, what we really do is, um, you know, we make sure these companies care about women empowerment and support our mission. I think that's important. So everything we post into our job board, um, those companies support us and they are our partners. So we are sure that they are a good company to work in. And then um, we also like to share the benefits they offer. Um, everything our, uh, an engineer will be interested in looking at uh, so they can check if it aligns with, with what they are looking for. And also something we do with our partners, we organize events with them. We invite them to speak so you can actually go to the event, I mean, attend the event live, learn more about these partners, see what they are doing, how their culture is like, and then you will see if you are just interested in, in applying. So I think that is important so, so you can hear from them what they have to offer and you can make sure you, are, you, you really want to apply to that job. So I think we are really like a, like a filter because we are showing you jobs that will be really good for you. And then we also show you the benefits that you are interested in, in looking. And then we also offer you other ways of, you know, getting to know these companies like this event. We also do interviews and some other things. So you make the right choice and you are not just looking, okay, where should I apply? And you sometimes don't have all the information and um, I think it's it's good to have all the information you need before applying. Yeah, that's wonderful. That's good. That's good to know. Um, I didn't know about that part, so I'm glad I asked. Um, Molly, anything you want to add to that? Yeah, the only thing um, I would add is that uh, one of the great things too, uh, in regards to, to our partners that are involved in in the job board, is that the job board has postings from you know entry level up to senior level positions. And we know that not always um, people in the, that senior level are, aren't always looking right at job boards or job postings. But I think one of the nice things is that um, if you are a subscriber of our newsletters, you know, which many of our members are, um, you know, those, those senior level positions are often posted as well um, in those newsletters because, like I said, they may not necessarily be going to a job board to look at postings. But when they see it come through on our newsletter, they're like, oh, man, that sounds like a great opportunity. So there's some other ways for them to, to find those opportunities as well and navigate to them. Yeah, that's great. That's a great idea. And that, that's very true. Like oftentimes when you're in a position where you're kind of comfortable and you're happy, um, you might not always think that there's something else that might be even more interesting and more fulfilling but then, you know, if it's if you scroll up the newsletter, it's right there. You're like, oh, huh, yeah, actually, I am interested. Let me see. And I think sometimes I've heard from some people that sometimes just doing some of these interviews is also good to kind of keep your interview skills um, in check. And sometimes it's just interesting to talk to a company and find out how they think and what they do and where they're going because maybe 
during the interview process, you might think like, oh, that's not quite what I was looking for, but it, you don't lose anything really by doing that. I know some people are very afraid of doing that because they're scared their current employer finds out um, and that that could, could end negatively. And I wish it wasn't the case, but I guess in some, in some situations that is something to, to be aware of. But if you can, I think it might be, it's to your benefit to sometimes just have a look at what's happening out there in the industry. And if there isn't something, maybe that's even better than what you have now. So an open question. Um, what is the superpower of a diverse team? How do we celebrate it? And how do we raise more awareness around it? Yeah, I think for me, whenever I'm thinking about a team uh, or, or a work environment that I, I love or I want to work in, I'm always thinking about collaboration. I always think like collaboration is the key to success. And so I think that the superpower of a diverse team is that you are able to collaborate with that diverse team. And they, because they're, they're diverse, they have diverse experiences and diverse perspectives. And so they really allow you to recognize uh, and capitalize on opportunities that you may not have thought of yourself or that did not present themselves to you because, you know, you are coming from one perspective and one idea. And so I really just think it allows for a, a better outcome through the collaboration process. Carissa, do you want to add your what do you think is a superpower of a diverse team? Yeah, so I think a diverse team is more flexible and innovative. Uh, so I have worked um, in some design projects before. And when I've had more diverse team members, uh, we usually come up with better, more innovative ideas. So I think that's definitely something uh, you, you will get a better result with uh, more diverse people. And then speaking of women who code, we have a very diverse team of volunteers. Uh, so they, each of them have their own culture, their background, their language. So we are always trying to include them, make them feel included and welcome. So we are always trying to do, you know, like um, celebrating different holidays around the world, things like that. Also, since I joined the team, I have put a great effort into bringing more uh, Spanish speaking events and, you know, um, resources. We have organized a conference completely in Spanish, for example, so we can um, focus on that part of the community, which is great. I think that Latin American uh, community is very large and it's important that we feel welcomed and included and they are part of all these um, activities that, you know, they, they can see that they are not only in English, not all of them can speak English fluently, but they are also in their own language. Yeah, I think um, having content available in your own language is very underrated, um, which is unfortunate. And I, I think oftentimes when people create um, resources, um, they see it as an expense. And I don't, I don't agree with that. Like, sure, it's an expense, but you're including so many more people because sometimes it's not just about the fact that they maybe can't speak English or understand English so well it's just that they they're more comfortable and some people are really they love their language and they they want to see it go on um, you know they don't want everything to just be available in some language that somebody has decided is now this is the language that everything will be in you know um, Thankfully, I was reminded 
of that by being part of the MDN WebDocs, WebDocs project. Um, we have a, the project has a, uh, a translated content repository and it's absolutely mind-blowing to see how the community runs that. I mean, they organize themselves. They have onboarding for new members. They, the rest of the team hardly ever needs to worry about that. They just always on top of everything. And whenever we make like a big change, all I need to do is make them aware of it. And before you know it, they're like, oh, we've, we've done it. We, we finished all of it. And I'm like, wow, that is just so amazing. It's so inspiring. Um, and I also, in the Discord uh, server for MDN, uh, we have some language-specific um, channels. And it's great to see how active those channels are. And you can see that people really enjoy communicating with each other in a language that they're completely familiar with. So I would advise people, you know, really go out of your way to do this. I think it's the same with general web accessibility. They, they don't see it as an expense. Just see it as a way of including more people. I think that that's a better way to look at it. And, you know, the extra money you spend, it, it's worth it. I can promise you it's worth it. So, looking back over the history of Women Who Code, um, what are some of the big wins that you, you've had as an organization? And what are some of the biggest challenge that face, let's say, junior developers and then women in general in tech? Well, I think we've highlighted a few of the bigger ones, things like um, the growth of our community going from very small to 343,000 members. Um, and, and also, I think even we've, we've touched on the pandemic and how we were able to kind of, uh, navigate that with grace and adjust and, and be really adaptive um, with, the, with the virtual environment. But I think for me, it's not so much the big wins, it's the small wins uh, that really, you know, fuel, fuel my, fill my bucket here, right? Like they, they're the most impressive things to me because it's these individuals that are sharing their triumphs and you can see what people are, are progressing towards, you know, when they're sharing a personal goal they may have reached or getting a promotion. Um, we've had people talk about doubling or tripling their salaries and advocating for themselves for the first time, making that first, you know, nego negotiation ask and the person coming back with significantly more money and, uh, you know, learning a new skill and being able to apply it successfully or, or participating in a hackathon and doing really well. And uh, I think it's all those little small stories. Even, you know, we just uh, finished Connect and, and I'm sure I'm going to miss cool people and things like that. But so many people said, you know, this is the first time I've been in an environment like this. This is the first time I've been surrounded by so many like-minded people. You know, this is such an exhilarating experience. So I think even just seeing those small things, seeing the impact we have on our community every day, I think that's really the impact for me. That's, that's really the excitement. It's, it's not always the big ones. You know, we can be like, wow, you know, and I'm crazy and they mentioned this, but I think Connect Latin is a really cool thing that we were able to do this conference um, completely in Spanish. Well, uh, the people that were then able to attend Connect Latin that maybe didn't have a place beforehand to attend a conference like that, I think that's that's really where that, that kind of excitement, like I just got goosebumps, you know, talking about that, just, just small things and knowing that every day, you know, what you're doing, what you're working on is making a change in someone's life. And also something that people might not see from the outside, but we have a, a bigger team now. Uh, so now we can support different communities, like, um, and this comes again related to diversity, like from when I joined the team now, I, I am able to support our Spanish speaking communities, for example. 
And now we have more team members to support our partners as well. So we can do more things um, and, and we can do, you know, new activities, new programs for everyone. And um, maybe in the future, we'll be able to open new communities, like you mentioned. So I think that's also a big part of it. So I have another question, but I want to actually come back to that one. Um, so before we touch on uh, challenges uh, facing junior developers and then women in general, um, open source is something that I've been involved in for years now. And um, I personally have had a really good experience um, there. There's been some some bumps in the road, but in general, it's it's only been a positive experience for me. Now, since I started the this podcast and then the other podcast that I have, uh, the Mechanical Ink podcast, which is specifically focused around open source and ethics and things like that. Um, I've had to face the hard truth that my experience might be a little bit unique. Um, and this is not how everybody experiences this. So I'm just curious if you are aware are there any open source projects that women who code have been involved with that's been particularly fruitful and beneficial to you as an organization and your members? Yes, so we don't have anything specific for open source. Uh, we do events once in a while when we find um, a speaker who can share with us about, more about open source. What we do is we celebrate Hacktoberfest, which is, um, you know, everything related to open source. So... Every year in October, we do um, many events related to open source, and we encourage our members to participate, to contribute in all of that. Um, I was researching a little bit. I think uh, Grace Hopper also, Grace Hopper Celebration also does something for open source. And um, we have worked with a few partners that I know that they have, you know, teams working on open source specifically. So we... We do have it in our topics. It's not something, because as you mentioned, we don't have many women there. So, and I think it's a cycle. We don't have many women. We need more women so it can be more welcoming for all of the new people joining. But then uh, the, I think right now it isn't very, I mean, the space, it isn't very welcoming for new women. So I think it is like a cycle. Uh, what I will do is, if you are a woman interested in open source, find a mentor. Maybe in our communities, you will be able to find a mentor who knows more about it and who will help you and give you the resources you need. Molly, anything add to that? That's a little uh, above my, my league. <laughs> I don't know a lot about open source or the communities in there, so I'll leave that with Chris, yeah. Yeah, no worries, no worries, no worries. Um, yeah, I mean, like I said, it, it's a little, it's it, it's hard to hear um, that that such a large, important part of the software industry and the world does not feel welcome in this community. It's really not nice to hear. Um, yeah, makes makes me a little sad. But um, okay, we'll have to figure out how we can change this. Uh, it's not going to be easy, but I'm sure we can do it. Um, so cycling back to um, some of the biggest challenges faced by early stage developers, juniors, um, and women in general in tech. I want to expand on that just a little bit um, because of this period that we're in at the moment. Um, 
And it almost feels to me like I'm going through this existential crisis. Um, and the, the, the elephant in the room is this whole explosion around AI. Um, be as open as you are comfortable with. Um, but I'd like to know what are your thoughts on AI in general? What are your concerns? And then how do you think this is impacting junior developers? And I'll, I'll, maybe I'll start by sharing some of my, my concerns. Um, so some of my concerns is that if I was a junior developer right now and I was just getting into this, I would personally be very scared for, for my future because there's so much online that would be telling me that my job is about to be obsolete. And I might have, I might have a real passion. I might have a real love for this. And now I'm going to have to come to grips with the fact that maybe this is not for me. This is not going to happen for me. And I think one of the reasons why it hits home for me is because I used to be a classical guitarist way back in the day. And um, I couldn't successfully turn it into a career because maybe partially of where I live, maybe partially because there just wasn't a big enough industry um, for it. And I had to give it up. And it was very, very hard to do that. And sometimes it still bothers me. Um, and so that is one of many of my concerns, but it's one that's top of mind for me because I have a um, my sister's uh, partner, her boyfriend, I taught him everything that he knows up to this point, and he's just got his first client as a, as a developer. And he's so excited about it, and I'm excited for him. But at the same time, I have to keep talking to him about this because he does have this fear that, but are all these clients that's my ticket into this, just my, my, how I can get my foot in the door, are they all going to disappear because they're all just going to use these AI tools that you type a couple of sentences, draw something on a piece of paper, and here is your website. So I'm going to stop there, and I'm going to let you, you share what your thoughts are around this. Yes, I can share mine. Um, I think if you learn how to use these tools, if you learn how to do AI, I mean, if you, if you are a developer, you need to learn more about these new technologies. And if you learn how to use them to your benefit, I think they are going to help you more than, you know, it's not really a risk if you know how to use them. Um, I was reading some blogs and articles from people who are starting to use them as their, um, as if these AI bots were their assistants, let's say it like that. So it's like, okay, I'm not going to learn a whole new language in two days and develop this website or whatever. But I can use these uh, tools to help me learn what I need and to be able to deliver my work in two days, for example. So I think if you learn how to use them in this way and not thinking whatever this bot gives you is going to be uh, correct and perfect, it needs your unique um, human thought and you know, your uh, skills and all of that to check it, make some corrections and all of that. So if you use it to learn, and if you use it to help you with your job, I think it's going to help and not, not, uh, uh, it's not going to be a risk of you losing your job. That's my opinion. Yeah, fair enough. 
Um, Molly, anything you want to share with regards to this? Yeah, as, as Gracia, as my, my tech expert on the call, um, you know, she, she probably has uh, some better insights, but from what I've seen, you know, um, in the news and things like that in relation to AI and AI technology, um, I think Gracia has a, has a, a point that I think I agree a lot with. If, if you use it as a tool, and I think it even refers to like, you know, we always get very concerned when new technology comes out and we wonder, how it's going to affect the job market in a lot of ways, you know, even thinking back to when, you know, self scanners at the grocery store um, started coming out, everyone was like, that's going to take away everyone's jobs or like, you know, the um, little uh, scanny device at the, the Panera bread or the McDonald's. Um, it's that kind of fear of like, what is that going to mean for, for workers? But I think some of those things, they're always going to have problems. They're always going to have issues, even with AI, right? So they're always going to need that, a technical expert right to come in and make those adjustments so i think you can only sometimes rely on tech so much um as then you need the human human nature and the, the human person to come in and, and be there as a, as a backup as a resource even when things shut down or aren't working properly so i think um while i understand it as a fear and i and i assess that fear in a really real level i think that that's that's fair that developers will be concerned about it um I think it's a bit of a wait and see, but I would hope that people would take more of a, of a using it as a learning tool and using it as, a, as an addition rather than as a, a complete replacement. On a sci-fi major side of things, I, I don't want to become the next iRobot, so I hope they don't take that for everything. Yeah, yeah, very true. Thank you so much for um, being open to answering that. I, I really appreciate it. Um, this has been a great conversation, and the work that you all do is critical. Um, so thank you for joining me and thank you for the work you do. Um, in closing, what are your hopes for the future for Women Who Code and the tech industry maybe in general? And then how do people get involved with this uh, project? Yes, so I can share some of our upcoming events and initi initiatives that we have. So we have some uh, dev summits planned for this year. We are going to have one for mobile and web. Um, that's going to include our front-end and cloud communities as well. That's going to be on May 24th. Uh, then we have one for, we call it Block Data Pi, which is Blockchain Data Science in Python. That's on July 27. Um, and then we recently had a Days of Code Challenge. So people joined and they selected how many days they wanted to um, commit to. So it was like you could choose uh, seven days, 10 days, or, you know, more longer. The, the top one was 100 days of code. And it was more like, okay, I will be coding for 100 days. And we just gave them some advice, resources, and all of that. Uh, we are about to finish in April, and we are hoping to do more code challenges in hackathons in the future, because I think those are very empowering to people, and they can uh, commit themselves to uh, do this kind of activities and learn from each other as well. And also, I mean, personally, I hope we can get more uh, Spanish content because our Latin American community is growing so much. And I hope I can do more to support them, create, create more resources, do more events in Spanish. And all that. Great stuff. Molly, from your side? Yeah, working on the fund development side of things, um, I think there's a lot of hope for the future of tech and diversity in tech. You know, a lot of the individuals I work with, um, and I've done a little to support our, 
our partnership communities or our corporate partnerships, you know, the people that we're meeting with, you know, they really do have a vested interest in expanding diversity. And so um, creating a safer space, creating a more welcome space, creating a more inclusive space. And so I think that there's great hope in the future of building towards towards that, especially in the tech community. And I think that's important because we do know that, you know, tech is is one of the largest, if not at this point, the largest um, employer, right, throughout the world, and that certain areas of tech are growing exponentially. I, I know that uh, when I was looking into cybersecurity stuff for women who code, you know, it's the second fastest growing um, industry in tech, and it's expected to, I, I think it was something like, and I, I don't quote me on these stats, because they may be wrong, you know, like 59% of the stats we hear are wrong, but um the, the statistic talked about, I, I want to say it was around 13% it's growing in the cybersecurity field, 13% faster um, than other industries. And so if, if these needs are compiling, you know, I want to know that there's a diverse community there to fill those positions and not uh, either having them just sit open or having the same people advancing and excelling. And I think that really so many people are committed to those um, initiatives. And so um, a lot of what I would say is, you know, moving forward and, and how to get involved Please navigate to our site. If you're listening to this podcast, you know, navigate to our site. If you need the resources, you need the community, you need the support, the mentorship, the resources, come to our site, www.womenwhocode.com. Membership is completely free. Um, as a nonprofit organization, uh, we do rely on donors to keep that membership 100% free. And so if you are a supporter, maybe not a technician, and you're listening today, you know, we invite you to, to support our community uh, through a donation or, or through getting your company involved. Um, you can find that information again at our website. Um, and then, of course, the volunteering opportunities. You know, um, we have lots of need for, for local network leaders, um, for people that are excited to, to lead those communities. Um, we have opportunities for speaking at community events as well as our conferences. Uh, we have opportunities to write blogs. So maybe you have something you're really passionate about and you want to get the word out um, or even to be guests on our podcast. So there's there's so many opportunities for you to get involved. And, and on the podcast side of things, I was just making this this joke with a, a former colleague that I worked with, you know, last year on my bucket list was be on a podcast, right? That was my, one of my goals. And in 2022, that happened. I was on my first podcast and I was like, man, I can't wait to do more of these. And, and here I am, right? Continuing to make those steps and, and doing, doing more speaking opportunities, more podcasts. And so, you know, those things can happen. You just have to take sometimes that first step forward. And so please, if you've ever thought, man, I want to be on a podcast, man, I want to write a blog. I'd love to lead a women for community. Please. Um, join us. We, we'd love to have you. That's awesome. <clears throat> I, I love your excitement about this. <laughs> it's, it's infectious. Um, so again, thank you so much, Gracia, Molly, um, for taking time out of your day to speak with me and share all the wonderful um, work you're doing. I wish you all of the best and I wish Women Who Code just grows and keeps growing. And thank you again for everything you do. Thank you. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Thank you for listening to the Mycelium Network Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, share it with your friends. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. As something to add, continue the conversation on GitHub and join the community on Slack. Until the next one, keep making the web awesome.